Section number nine of The Man on the Meteor by Ray Cummings. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Krista Zaleski. Part nine. Conclusion. I led my army out of racks. The details of its organization I had left to Attar and Kane, while Nona and I were on our expedition to Ghana. They had done their work well, and within an hour after our return, we were ready to leave, to face the advancing Magog forces. We left from the roof of racks, the broad open space there, was ample for mobilization, and in the center of it my forces were gathered. You, of a greater civilization, might call this army of mine meager. Yet to us Marinoids it was huge. The largest group of fighting men these people had ever conceived of organizing. Some two thousand men, girls, and dolphins, the product of all the Marinoid cities and the rural population. We had many more who wanted, and were able, to join us. But these I left at home, some in racks, some in the other smaller cities, so that at home, in the event of disaster to our fighters in the open water, we would not be quite defenseless. An army of two thousand. It was not very much, of course, but it was equipped and organized, with a plan of action which I shall tell you in a moment. That it would be ample for victory, I did not doubt. Og and his Magogs might outnumber us. Of that I could not say. But we had fighting qualities which the slow, lumbering Magogs could not possibly equal. We would be easily victorious, I thought. But Nona was not quite so sanguine. In spite of my commands, the people of Rax, many of them, had gathered on the city roof to see us leave. A circular fringe of them jammed the edge of the roof, waiting to cheer our departure. But they did not cheer. With solemn faces they stared upward at our columns as we rose into the water. Women staring after their husbands and sons, even their daughters. Women and old men staring and wondering which of their loved ones would return alive to them. In command of the entire Marinoid forces, I rode alone on a dolphin, with hands free and with only a lance fastened flat against the dolphin's back and a dagger in my belt. I was first off the roof of racks. As I rose, gliding smoothly upward and outward, I looked down to see the city dropping away. The army starts. A column of young men, swimming five abreast, came up next, like birds rising in orderly array to follow their lone leader. It was an inspiring sight, this sinuous curving line of swimmers. It swung into the water, bent like a huge rainbow over the city, straightened, and followed me diagonally upward. Soon racks had dwindled small and dim in the water below, but I could see Nona's forces, the girls mounted on dolphins, as they too were starting. Then racks, now so far beneath me, blurred and was lost in the grey-green haze of water, and I turned my attention ahead. The backbone of my army was the line of young men swimming five abreast behind me. Five hundred of them there were, young, powerful swimmers, youths at the height of their physical strength. Each was by nature capable of shocking into insensibility with an electric discharge, any opponent he could touch by head and heel simultaneously. These young men were unarmed. I felt that they could use their natural weapon to better advantage when swimming free-handed. Nona's corps consisted of some two hundred girls mounted on dolphins, each with a long lance-like spear in her hands. Nona commanded them, with ten extra girls, each to control a group of twenty. Then there was Atar's corps of sleighs, the light sleighs which I have already described. Atar himself had a dolphin mount. In each of the ten dolphin-drawn sleighs was a single occupant, an older man, 
These slaves I would use to precede us, to throw light upon the enemy, blind him, and cover our onslaught made from behind. The slaves of darkness, ten of them, dolphin-drawn, and each with two occupants, were commanded by Cain himself, riding a separate dolphin. These slaves were for darkening the water in the event of a catastrophe to our fighters, to cover our retreat wherever that might be necessary. The Electric Power For the rest, my main forces were a thousand fighting men, older men in whom the electric power was waning. They were armed with various types of spears, daggers, javelins, and lances. They were leaving racks in a long swimming line some ten abreast. Such was my army, which now followed me into battle. I led it upward. Behind me I could see the long columns of swimming figures, the sleighs in two broad groups, the girls on the dolphins in squads of twenty, each with its leader apart. Ahead of me lay open water, a grey-green in the half-light, dimmed and blurred. Far overhead I knew was the rocky ceiling which marked the top of this watery subterranean world, and the ooze and sand of the sea-bottom was perhaps two thousand feet below me. I was heading for Ghana. The water here was almost free of vegetation, but not wholly so. Occasionally thin, waving spires of seaweed, covered with air pods to sustain them, reared their heads. I threaded my way among them, and with every turn I made the line of swimming figures behind me followed. Soon I conjectured I must be halfway to the former site of Ghana. The Magogs would probably follow the sea-bottom in their advance, for they were all indifferent swimmers, flabby of muscle and short of breath. It was time for me to descend and locate them. I waited, as it had been prearranged that I should wait at this point and as I hung poised in a broad stretch of empty water, my army swung up and gathered. In two huge concentric circles the men swam slowly around me, while the girls on the dolphins moved lazily back and forth above and below. A beautiful sight, these girls, slim bodies clinging closely to the sleek backs of their graceful mounts, and Cain and Atar with their squad of sleighs holding motionless on the outskirts. In the centre of it all, Nona rode her dolphin to join me. "'We are ready, Nemo,' and she laughed gaily. Though searching her face, I could see no laughter in her solemn eyes. I told her then to wait while I went down to the sea-bottom to locate the enemy. She nodded, and I left her. Slowly I drove my dolphin around the circle of my men. Shouting a word of encouragement here and there, I consulted a moment with Cain and Hattar, waved at Nona as I passed her again, and dove my mount downward. The ring of waiting figures above me faded into dimness and were lost. I was alone in the water. It took but a few moments to reach the bottom. It came up to me, by optical illusion tilted vertically on one end. A hundred feet above it I righted my mount. I was over a level floor of sand, with cactus-like growths here and there. Empty. There was no sign of Magog's. Ahead of me, in the direction of where Ghana had once stood, I saw the shadows of a forest. I advanced toward it, and from it were emerging the first lines of the oncoming enemy. The combat. But my heart sank. There were very many of them. At once I raced my dolphin upward, and my thoughts were racing also. Again I had lost another opportunity for ambush. Had we reached the forest before the Magogs began to emerge, we might have surprised them there. The forest was several miles long and a mile broad, perhaps, in the horizontal direction from Ghana to Rax. A mile of thick vegetation, 
trees, spires, and a tangle of vines and weeds rearing themselves several thousand feet up into the water. The Magog army was now traversing that mile-wide width of forest. Perhaps if I could cut them off in there, attack them piecemeal as they emerged. I was again with my own forces. Nona and Atar and Cain rode their mounts hastily to meet me, and I told them the situation. It took us but a moment to decide. We would maintain this upper open water as our base. I ordered Atar with his light sleighs and half of our electric fighting men to follow me down. I would attack these first columns of the enemy as they came out of the forest. Nona, with her girls, was to ride swiftly above the forest, descend on its other side, and drive the last of the Magogs in. We did not want any of them to retreat toward Ghana. I waited while Nona and the dolphins dashed upward and away. The girls had all been flushed and eager, but as they swept by me in a line, I saw that each little face was white, set, and grave. They vanished in a swirl of water. I wheeled my dolphin toward Atar. His ten light sleighs were in a line abreast, with him on his dolphin behind them. He gave a signal. The pods on the sleighs were unshrouded. Green light leaped ahead, a broad, blinding glare. And in the semi-darkness behind it, my electric men were gathered around me. Then I shouted my command, and we started vertically downward, our first attack upon the enemy. 2. The glare of light showed the water plainly, a brilliant glassy green. We reached the sea bottom, turned, and dashed forward. The Magogs were there. They saw our light coming, of course, long before we saw them. A crowd of them, confused, half-blinded, but they were standing their ground nonetheless. Over the line of light sleighs, I saw that we had to deal here with perhaps five hundred Magog men. They seemed armed with spears. They huddled heavily against the sea bottom, some half a mile from the edge of the forest. The line of them stretched back there, and more were constantly coming out. When our sleighs were no more than a few hundred yards away, I shouted at Atar. At his relayed signal, the sleighs shrouded their pods and turned upward, out of reach of the enemy. It left the water in semi-darkness. Blackness it must have seemed to the Magogs, with that blinding glare so suddenly extinguished. And then we leaped at them. It was a swirl of confusion, this hand-to-hand warfare. I held my dolphin resolutely above it, taking no part, but watching for every advantage into which I might hurl my men. Looking down into the swirling water, I could see the Magogs fighting desperately to impale my swimmers with their spears, and my young marinoids darting over them, up and down, seeking to touch them head and legs simultaneously, that the electric shock might kill them. The fighting spread. Soon it was going on over a wide area. It was almost silent, uncanny fighting. The swish of the churning water, a shout, a death scream here and there. Bodies were dotting the sand. Magogs, but marinoids too. And the Magogs in this first engagement outnumbered us two to one. I was perhaps fifty feet above the sand, with the sleighs poised inactive immediately over me. Atar dashed up. How are they doing? Nemo, would it be better in the light? I had not thought of that. A trio of Magogs, wounded and confused, came floundering up at us. Atar, from his dolphin, dispatched them easily with his sword. The lights, he shouted, lights, and spread out to light it all. The lights flashed on. The sleighs moved away to separate positions. As though on a lighted stage, the scene was now illuminated. It was a good move, for the Magogs living in the dark water of the wild things could not stand the light as well as we could. The casualties. Back to the edge of the forest, the fighting was in progress. But my heart sank. 
There were two Magogs dead to every Marinoid, but it was not enough. These were the weakest of Og's forces, and I was using against them the best of mine. Half an hour more of such fighting, and these first columns would be cut to pieces and routed. But what of that if I lost nearly half of my finest men? There were the black fishes yet to cope with. My electric men would do best against them. I saw now my mistake. I should have fought these lumbering Magogs with my older, more numerous men. Spears against spears. And saved my youth for the black fishes. Atar, I think, came to these conclusions simultaneously. Together we dashed over the scene of the battle, calling off our fighters. They came readily, for the Magogs, sorely harassed, were glad enough to let them go. Up we started, but there were now no more than a hundred of us, where before there had been more than twice that. The light sleighs, again shrouded, followed us. In the dimness down there the sea-bottom was strewn with inert, broken figures, the wounded floundering, the water darkened with blood, and over toward the forest the Magogs were retreating to join fresh columns coming out. Then, as we rose, the scene faded into obscurity. We must get back up, Atar called to me. Get our older men, all of them, and come down again at once. We were rising to where our waiting army would soon come into view. When off to the left I saw a cloud of tiny forms coming out of the upper recesses of the forest, dashing at us to cut off our ascent. Swiftly I saw at once that our swimmers could not avoid them. The black fishes, a swarm of them with og in their midst, was upon us. 3. I must go back now to when, previous to our first attack, Nona with her girls left us to cross the forest. Nona led them, and swimming at tremendous speed they were soon above the vegetation. It was a queer sight, looking down through the water upon those marine treetops. A tangle of weeds, air pods, some of them gigantic, the whole forest a matted thicket on top of which one could lie at rest. But there were many places which would have served as the entrance down, or exit up which latter thought made my Nona shiver involuntarily. Down in the tangle, two thousand feet down, the Magogs were passing through. What forces did they have? How many men? How many of the dreaded black fishes? Where were those black fishes? From which point would they attack us? Nona knew that the fishes could best be fought by our electric men. The little beasts would be easy to shock and kill, but not easy since they were so small, to impale upon a lance. Nona wondered where they were. If only she could get information of the strength and disposition of the enemy forces. Information for me, so that I might intelligently plan my battle. Woman acts upon impulse. Nona called her girl leaders, directed them to go on and carry out my orders, drive the Magogs into the forest from its side to Organa. Then abruptly she halted her dolphin. The others swept on, leaving her alone in the silence of the water above the forest. At once she fastened her lance to the dolphin's back, and dismounted, and the dolphin, understanding her reiterated whispered command, held itself poised to await her return. Nona planned to go down alone, swimming freehand into the forest to spy upon the enemy. She wasted no time. Finding an open space between the tall spires, she dove into it. The descent through those tangled, tenuous airpods and plants was laborious. She worked her way down quickly, surreptitiously. It was almost dark, though not quite, and very silent. Far below now, she thought she could hear the sounds of voices. She was perhaps two-thirds the way down when a sudden movement near at hand caused her heart to leap. Something human. She shrank behind a waving leaf and clung. Peering into the gloom, she saw a human figure, a Magog, a woman seemingly unarmed, 
a small female figure huddling in the branch of vegetation. A Magog. Nona could capture her, force from this enemy woman the information she sought. My Nona plunged forward with arms outstretched, plunged silently, swiftly, and she was upon her enemy before the Magog was fully aware of her. Their bodies met. The Magog woman, she was no more than a girl, screamed, but Nona's hand went over her mouth. They fought, tore at each other, with the Magog girl's forearms gripping my Nona's frail body like the tentacles of an octopus. But Nona was the stronger, her body built of firmer flesh, her muscles more powerful. Marinette again. Abruptly, the Magog girl yielded. They had been tumbling over and over in the water, wound and entangled in the seaweed, and save for that one scream, fighting silently. Nona pulled her captured antagonist to a tree stalk, and in one of its branches held her there firmly. And not until then did she realize that this was Marit, the girl who loved Og, the girl who had helped us escape from the water of wild things. You! But Marit was now crying. What do you want of me? You go away! I hate you! You tried to take my Og! You let me alone! Women are strange creatures. My Nona put her arms tenderly about the vehement girl. You must not hate me, Marit. What are you doing here? Og, he is down there, fighting. For you he fights. You, the woman who stole his heart. And he may be killed, and I love him. What could Nona say? The girl had followed Og to the battle, followed, hoping to keep him out of danger because she loved him. And at the last, frightened, she had crawled away to the treetops, crying with fear and misery when Nona set upon her. Marette, listen. You tell me where the black fishes are. Where is your Og? There, in the forest. It was a vague answer, a gesture, not down but off to one side, toward Rax. Still in the forest? Yes, I think so. I don't know. But he was going out to fight. The blackfishes were with him? Yes. How many of them, Marat? But the girl had become suspicious. I don't know, she said sullenly. He is on the sea bottom with them? Marat, listen. How many Magogs are there in the forest? But the girl understood Nona's purpose and set her lips tight. Tell me, Merit. No, burst out the girl. You would do my Og harm. I want to help him, not you. She tried to pull away, but Nona held her. Nona's anger was rising. I'll take you with me, she told the girl. My Nemo will make you talk. But Merit resisted, and suddenly her tears came afresh. You let me go. I should be with Og, fighting beside him because I love him. I was a coward to come up here. The words appealed as none others could to Nona. Her anger vanished. Sympathy flooded over her. You want to fight for Og, Merit? Yes, I want to fight. I belong there, beside him. Let me go. Nona stared into the girl's pathetic little face. Go, she said. You speak the truth, Merit. You belong there with the man you love, no matter for what cause he fights. Go. Her gaze followed as Merit dropped away down into the recesses of the forest. 4. It was a terrible moment as we saw those black fishes, with Og in their midst, dashing at us. Atar and I shouted to our men, shouted encouragement. We could not avoid this new enemy, and so we had to plunge at it with a will. A hundred electric men, no more, and all of them were exhausted by the combat they had left, but a moment before. Our lightweight sleighs were of no use here. Hastily we sent them speeding upward, to bring down our main army to our assistance. Atar and I on our dolphins circled about. The black fishes were everywhere, 
confusion again, the lashing figures of our young men as they met the black, ugly little things, all jaws and teeth like needles. A hundred personal battles simultaneously. But there were ten fishes to each of our men, at least. The fishes were shocked and killed, some of them. Others bit and tore at our fighter's flesh. Have you ever seen a school of hungry fish pluck at a bit of food, dismember it, carry it away? This was like it. Shuddering, I dashed my dolphin to and fro. A few of the fishes I caught in my lance. So very few among that thousand. This was disaster. We would kill half the fishes, perhaps, but lose all this portion of our men. Disaster. I became aware of a Taurus dolphin rushing past me, his voice shouting, Og! Let us get Og! Force him to call off the fishes, or kill him! Og had been holding himself poised in midwater watching the scene, but already he had realized his danger. He was making away, and at his call a hundred or more of his fishes gathered around him. We would have dashed at them, our two dolphins could have scattered them. But we did not. For from below a swarm of other figures appeared. Marinogs, the half-breeds. A picked corps of the Marinog youth. They were good swimmers. They possessed the power of electric shock. More than a hundred of them were rising now to Og's assistance. Atari and I stopped our onslaught. Around us on every hand our scattered forces were fighting the fishes. But the little groups of men fighting were now very few. Everywhere bodies were sinking inert, with swarms of fishes plucking at them. We screamed for all to follow us who could, and mounted. A few of our men tried to follow, but not one succeeded. The oncoming Marinogs, fresh and lustful, caught them all. And with hearts cold within us, Atar and I dashed upward, alone. Nona regained her mount above the forest and continued on to join her girls. I can tell you this part of the battle only as Nona told it to me. Briefly, for my Nona talks little of her own deeds. The girls on the dolphins were beyond the forest down near the sea bottom, and they were engaged with the enemy when Nona arrived. It was the last of the Magog columns just entering the forest when the dolphins attacked it. A very brief engagement, a few score of the last heavy swimming Magogs, and without trouble the girls cut them down, drove them into the forest. Atar and I, rising alone from our defeat, met our main army coming down to help us. The light sleighs had carried the news. Hastily we told them of our disaster. It was my fault, no doubt. I should never have split my forces. How easy it is to look back and say what we should have done. Atar was anxious to descend at once, with all our men, in one desperate attack. But I was learning the art of warfare. Inexperienced still, yet now not wholly so. We must wait here, I told them, for Nona and the girls to return. Then we would be completely united and by then the enemy would be on this side of the forest. In the open, we would attack them with all our forces at once, as Atar said. Look, shouted Atar. Above us, in the direction of the forest, the blur of swiftly moving forms showed with lines of white V-shaped behind them. 6. It was Nona and her girls, victorious in what they had undertaken. The news heartened us. We had lost a few of the girls and dolphins, and 250 of our best men but we had done the enemy, all told, a more than equal amount of damage. For half an hour we waited. Atar and I twice cautiously descended. The Magogs seemed all out of the forest, and were advancing on racks. High over them in the water we followed, and almost within sight of racks we dove down in a mass upon them. It was a scene of carnage, which at first seemed inextricable confusion. My forces spread out, 
attacked the enemy everywhere at once. The Magog seemed to prefer the sea bottom. They clung there and fought stubbornly. At Atar's insistence, I held my dolphin at first in midwater, out of range of the fighting. Below me was the centre of the struggling mass, the main force of sword-armed Magogs. Against them, in the glare of Atar's light sleighs, I hurled my older men. They were fighting down there in the brilliant light. We were outnumbered in this section, but I could see that my men were more than holding their own. Off to the left, toward the forest, a cloud of the black fishes had come up. With them were the Maranog electric men, and against them I sent my own two hundred and fifty youths, and the girls and dolphins. It was this segment that I most feared. I could see them now. The men were locked in hand-to-hand conflict, lashing the water, hundreds of the little groups. The black fishes were mingled with them, and about the whole struggling mass, the girls on the dolphins dashed back and forth. How long I watched, I do not know. I was alone, save that near at hand were Cain and his dark sleighs holding themselves in readiness. A marinoid fighter came wavering up to me, wounded and gasping. I descended. The fighters in this central melee had split into two separate sections, and on one side were far outnumbered. Atar was down here. He saw me and rushed forward. The ink pots. Nemo, on this side we lose. It was impossible to transfer quickly any considerable number of my men from any one side to the other. Take the lights from the losing side, I shouted, and when Atar had dashed away I swam my mount up to Cain. With his dark sleighs we slept down into the threatened area. Men were fighting around us, the dead were everywhere. The ink bags on the sleighs released their fluid, the water darkened, turning to night. Back and forth I scurried through the darkness, screaming to my men to shake off their foes, to extricate themselves and rise into the light. In the blackness my dolphins struck many struggling forms, friend and foe alike. Then I went up out of the cloud of ink, again into the blessed light, and waited while in little groups my sorely pressed fighters struggled up after me. It was instinct for everyone to escape from that horrible darkness. Have you ever fought in the dark? It strikes a terror to the soul. The Magogs must have felt it as well as my own men. In the black, inky water, all fighting soon ceased. And here I saw my opportunity and grasped it. The Magogs, confused and terror-stricken, were floundering out into the light. They came singly, and their eyes, weaker than those of the Marinoids, could see little when they first emerged. For many minutes the inky water held together, and around its edges Atar with his light sleigh swept their dazzling beams back and forth. There were six or seven hundred Magogs in there, and as they came out a few at a time we fell upon them. It was our great opportunity. And then I realized that I could do the same thing with the other wing. If only I had my other forces here, the girls with the dolphins. Atar and Cain executed the same maneuver, while I dashed away to get Nona. In this third sector things had gone very well indeed. They were fighting the Marinogs, holding them in check, while my electric men dispatched the blackfishes. I searched about for Nona, came upon her in time to see what manner of warfare this was. Three Marinogs had made for her. She went at them full tilt with lance extended. They scattered, but incredibly swiftly she turned her dolphin, impaled one of them with her lance, then another, while the third, for his life, turned and made away. Nona, I called. Bring your girls. Come, we need you. With the girls behind me, I hastened back to Atar and Cain. Out of the inky water below, into the brilliant beams of our light sleighs, the surprised Magogs were emerging. The girls rushed at them. The dolphins, extraordinarily swift, seemed to be everywhere at once. The ink finally cleared away, and my own remaining fighters took a hand. 
the combat turned to slaughter, then a complete rout. And I had men free now to send to the other sector, weakened by the withdrawal of the girls. The black fishes and the marinogs there were overpowered. The fishes fought to the last, a few of the marinogs fled, back to the water of wild things. And from everywhere about the scene of battle, wounded magogs were floundering away. But we let them go. We had won. 6. Concluding Statement by Ray Cummings I feel that I should add a few words to this last manuscript given me by Nemo. You will recall that I have already told you he is an inmate of one of our state homes. Each month, this queer old man has been writing for me, these memoirs of his youth. But the institution officials, with pardonable skepticism, declare to me privately that he is unbalanced, a victim of amnesia, since that day he was found wandering on the streets of an American city, with no memory of who he was or where he came from. They tell me he was, in his youth, probably some obscure European astronomer, which would account for his scientific knowledge. Scandinavian, perhaps, they now say. His accent is curious. I can hear for myself. But I would not call it Scandinavian. Indeed, I have heard nothing like it anywhere. It was not so many weeks ago, dating from the time you read this, when I interviewed the old man in the neat little reception room of the institution. I read over this last manuscript which he handed me, while he sat staring with eyes that seemed to see far beyond the narrow walls enclosing us. But Nemo, I protested, this is not finished. Is this the last you're going to give me? The last, he said vaguely. I cannot remember any more. It is getting blurred, fading. He passed a palsied hand across his blue-veined forehead. Getting blurred. For I am an old man, and my faculties are going. Very fast. But Og, I suggested. What became of Og? He brightened. Did I not tell you that? I remember now. I met him, near the end of the battle. He had captured one of our dolphins and a lance. He came at me, and I fought him. I was mounted as he was. The tired old voice trailed away. Yes, I prompted. He started. What was I saying? Oh, yes, about Og. You asked me about Og, didn't you? We might have been knights of the court of King Arthur, jousting with our lances. I can remember it now, clearly. I would have run him through almost at the first tilt, but that girl threw herself between us. I did not like to kill her. That was bad. Accidental, I could not help it. You mean Marat? Marat, yes, that was her name, wasn't it? I remember now. She died in Nona's arms, after I had killed Og. The girl did not know I had killed him. She died, still loving Og, and glad that she had given her life for him. I remember that now. It was all fading in his mind. I realized that and made a last effort. But Nona and your boy, what of them? And you, Nemo, who are you? He seemed struggling with the shadows that were enveloping him. I... I don't know. I remember that at the last I was with Nona and Boy. The war was over. I was sick. Yes, that was it. Very, very sick. They had me in bed. Nona was bending over me. I can see her now, so beautiful. It was getting dark, but Nona said... He stopped short. Nona said, I prompted gently. Yes, I recall it now. Nona said I must fight the darkness that was creeping upon me. But I couldn't. It came, darkness and silence, slowly. 
but everything was growing black. And Nona's voice imploring me not to go grew dimmer, far away, dimmer and darker, everything dark. And then I was gone. Dead? I said softly. What did he mean? What could it all mean? Except what the rational officials of the institution said. He shook himself slightly. Did I say dead? I don't know whether I mean that or not. I don't know what I mean. Blackness. Nothingness. And then I found myself on one of your horrible crowded streets here on earth. An old man. Cheated out of all those years of life. Grown old and feeble. When last I had been young and strong and my Nona and boy gone. He was trembling now when suddenly he turned on me. Go away, please. It hurts me to think of these thoughts. My Nona, gone. If any of you care to advance your theories, I shall be glad to hear from you. And I thank you, on Nemo's behalf, for your interest these past nine months. Ray Cummings. The End. End of Section 9. End of The Man on the Meteor by Ray Cummings.